you'll have received the lovely email this week from Katrina um, saying that Lizzie and Johnny have a few extra spaces than they were thinking that they did at the evening reception for their wedding, which is on the 12th of August. Um, that's in Bathgate, and if you are free and able to join them to celebrate their marriage, um, if you could either let them know today or email Johnny. Um, this week we um, also received a lovely card from Willie and Valerie thanking everyone for their um, hospitality and um, their welcome as they, they joined us um, as members of, of this church. Um, I forgot to bring the card because I came here from our friend's house this morning rather than from my own house, but I will um, take a picture of it and circulate it so that we've all seen it because it is for all of us. Um, for Katrina's last Sunday on the 13th, um, we plan to um, have our service of communion here together and then to stay for some light refreshments and a time of sharing stories. Um, I'm going to start picking on people if no one volunteers to get us started with some stories of um, our, our time together over the last 14 years. Um, I would just like a couple of people to volunteer to start us off because I think that when the stories start flowing, you won't shut us up, but I would like to get us started. Um, so we've also invited some um, friends uh, who are perhaps former members or from other local churches to that service, so it should be a, a really nice occasion. Um, another wee reminder, I did send out um, just a, a request for uh, some donations for a gift for Katrina. If those could either be transferred to the church bank account with a reference on them saying that they're for Katrina's gift, so either CG or be creative but something that Alistair will definitely recognise um, or if you fancy just slipping me some cash in an envelope that is also absolutely fine. Um, I've sent out a wee reminder about the road closures for next Sunday and for Sunday the 13th although Joan got in touch with me this week to say that the staff at the sub Hillhead subway said that there was an extended subway service um, for both Sundays so we're not 100% sure of the timings but actually public transport particularly by the subway, should be fine. We think it might start from 8am, but we will confirm whenever we've got that from an official source and rather than a person who wasn't quite sure at the subway. Um, speaking of um, email reminders and emails that I've sent out, you should have all received um, a copy of um, Francis's summary of the discernment focus groups. Um, I say this partly because um, that's an important document and I would love you all to read it, but partly because I have a slight concern that some people aren't getting my emails and um, because I've had a few bounce back through spam filters. So if you could um, add the email address secretary at hillheadbaptist.org to your, um, so that it doesn't get caught out in the spam filters, I'm going to ask Katrina to send an email around this week to make sure that everyone's getting those emails. Um, I think that's everything. So it's now time for um, Esther, is Shay here, or is it just Esther, to, <laughs> to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Bitten or unbidden, God is with us. Let us pray. Come to us, God of surprising grace. Sometimes we become people who expect nothing new. We think we can predict all that we will find in ourselves and in each other. If we believe, Lord, that there is nothing more to be discovered in this part of your church because we have seen it for a long time, forgive us and challenge us. When we think that we know the limits of your presence or what you can do and tread our life as though there are very few new possibilities, forgive us and challenge us. The God who stretched out the heavens and walked the earth for us is never limited to our horizons. This God has love which passes all understanding. We receive that love. We are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Deva Musu, kuris esidanguia. Tis yashvantas tavo vardas. Tetinia tavo karaliste. Tis yatavo vala, kaip danguia taip ir žemėje. Kasdienės mūsų duonos duok mums šiandien ir atleisk mums mūsų kaltes, kaip ir mes atleidžiame savo kaltininkams. Ir nevesk mūsų į pagundą, bet gelbėk mūsų nuo pikto, nes tavo yra karalystė, galybė ir garbė per amžius. Amen. So here we are, 
Uh, we're at the beginning of August. How did that happen? I wonder. Um, shops are full of things for going back to school, which must horrify some people uh, and whisper it. I, I think this is the earliest I have ever seen. But last week, I saw an advert on television for Christmas. Um, bit odd, really. Anyway, for church communities in Scotland at the end of August and the beginning of September, about just coming up to you know when the schools go back in a couple of weeks' time, it often feels like the start of a new year. Not the same as the new year in January for the calendar or the new year um, at the beginning of Advent for the Christian year, but it's sort of a, right, uh, this is a new year. I can remember when I was growing up, after a summer of pausing, it felt like activity began. In fact, I remember, and some of you might remember this phrase uh, from, from long ago, um, it was uh, a, a phrase in churches, we're about to begin the winter's work. Um, there was a sense of getting back to routine in a good way, of recommitment, and of course many traditions in the season that's coming up have services of recommitment at this time of year. of fresh thinking, perhaps stimulated by holidays. I can say this now because the, 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 the key people are no longer with us, but I used to remember when I was growing up in my church in Johnson, um, our minister's best sermons were always in September. Um, the point was he had a, a refreshment time. He'd been thinking. Um, and uh, that, that, was, that was George Cruikshank. Um, and uh, it, was, it was always interesting that that happened. There were also new initiatives, sometimes change, sometimes new ways of doing things, sometimes thinking about doing things differently as the year progressed. And of course, as we are gathering here this morning, Sunday the 30th of July, um, change hovers, hovers, hovers over all of our lives as individuals, as a church community, in our society, in our world. It used to be that people used to say that people who were in their 80s and 90s had lived through the biggest changes in the world, in the, in the First World War or the Second World War. But, you know, it's still happening. Massive changes. Although we have some idea of the path ahead, there are both unknowns and unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld once said. But it is true. We cannot know everything, and our pilgrimage over the months and year ahead will involve significant new challenges, different to the ones we've had in the past. There will be many challenges for each of us as individuals, some of which will be shared with family and friends, and some of which will be just simply between us and God. In community, this community, we may be refreshing or rethinking patterns of mission and service, reflecting theologically on the issues of our age, contemplating the call of a new minister, making decisions on potential physical focal points for our activities. This morning, I'm going to be inviting us to reflect on this balance between unknowing and assurance, between being rooted in the present and continuity and continually on the move. When the order of service was circulated yesterday, um, there was also a separate page with images on it. Um, 
you've got it hopefully just now and you can hopefully see it online as well. We'll look at the images and words briefly during the music after the Bible readings. But I also invite you to look at these images and words after the service, perhaps after lunch, and to think what they might mean for us. It was only after I'd chosen the hymns for this morning, doing so on the basis of their words uh, to carry forward what we're thinking about, that I realised that the tunes to which they are set also convey this sense of continual movement, of moving on, of pilgrimage. A happy coincidence, perhaps. And so we sing together.
Our first reading comes from Exodus. Crossing the sea. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road through the red, towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Our second reading comes from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Good morning, church. A third reading from the book of Matthew. The 11 disciples, having, spoke, having spoken with the Marys, headed to Galilee, to the mountain where they were to meet Jesus. When they saw Jesus there, many of them fell down and worshipped, as Mary and the other Mary had done before them. But a few hung back. They were not sure. And who could blame them? Jesus came towards them and said, I speak with the authority of God, who has commanded me to give you this commission. Go out and make disciples of all nations ceremonially wash them through baptism in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Then help them to grow in following the ways I have taught you. Show them how to follow me, and I will be with you day after day after day to the end of the age. Amen. Thank you. 
Um, when I offered to do this service this morning, I had two very clear options in mind. And uh, I was absolutely certain that I would choose one of them. Um, I started to pull things together a week ago on Thursday, I think, and very quickly got completely diverted. And so what we have this morning is neither of these options, but it was something that I felt pulled into as I prepared for this morning. Forty years ago this month, this very month, most weekdays at five o'clock, I would leave my place of work, which at that time was in Gifnock, get the bus into the city centre, and then the subway to Hill, out to Hillhead. I was heading for our former church building and would usually arrive there about 6pm. I'd climb the stairs to what was then the vestry to meet Anne. She would have been there all day as she was most weekdays that summer, researching and writing the book which would celebrate the centenary of Hillhead Baptist Church. I would then take her out for a much needed evening meal and listen with fascination to everything that she had discovered or written that day. In fact, Anne and I were supposed to get married that summer, but Anne that spring had been asked by the church managers at rather short notice, I have to say, uh, to research and write the centenary book. And given that she was a school teacher at the time, the only opportunity to undertake that project was in her summer holidays. Our wedding would have to wait a year until the summer of 1984. The book was published in the autumn of 1983. It seemed to catch the mood. And actually, quite a few people in the congregation in the hotel this morning and online this morning, I have got Anne's written comments of what they said to her about the book. But it did seem to catch the mood and ethos of our, ethos of our church. And I've been rereading it recently as part of our discernment process for my own personal thinking. And I've been struck again and again by how a particular ethos, a DNA, if you will, has run as a constant thread throughout the 140-year life of Hillhead. The minutes of the very first formal meeting of our church reveal the determination of the founders, four women and five men, that the new church, unlike its mother church of Adelaide Place Baptist Church, would be formed on the principle of open membership. That was a significant decision, this. Their decision to offer open membership to all Christians has shaped the evolution of our church over the years. It has not made us any less Baptist in practice and procedure and the way we govern ourselves and autonomy and our practice of believers' baptism for those who wish it. But it has made it a distinctive way to shape the evolution of our church. It's perhaps been our greatest strength. It would be almost a century before different church traditions officially recognised each other's forms of ministry, communion and baptism in the Lima Agreement of the 1970s. In 1902, in a tribute to Hillhead's first minister, who had died the year before, um, it was said that Hillhead had become, quote, 
a centre of Christian activity no less remarkable for its Catholicity of its communion than the liberality of its gifts. 1902. At the church AGM in 1946, the then minister, Guy Ramsey, expressed it like this. As I see it, we have a special kind of work to do at Hillhead. Our mission here is to be concerned with those who are intellectually perplexed. People who are shy of ostentation and excitement, people to whom the old religious language has lost all meaning, people who see religion that sorry, people who see that are a big pardon, people who see a religion that will reveal itself in all the complexities of society, in industrial and economic life. In time, he said, we shall build our own constituency and answer a real need. 1946. In 1961, the then minister, Ralph Martin, in his sermon at his induction said, there is, there is nothing, nothing exclusive about the church. In fact, it should be the most inclusive company on earth. We use different words today, and we're dealing with different matters in society today, but we can see the common thread here. Oh, and by the way, when our church was constituted in 1883, it was constituted, it called its first minister, and began a search for a building with fewer people than are currently sat in this room, 21 covenanted members. Of course, we mustn't be preoccupied with our own perspectives, um, especially of our own history here at Hillhead, important though it is for reinterpreting for the modern age. We should always keep a keen eye on what is being thought and said elsewhere. Um, and I suppose like a lot of people here, I've read so many dozens and dozens of books over the years about things like, you know, the church outside the congregation and uh, open oh, new approaches to opening uh, communities and things. In my thinking about our current discernment process, I've been reminded uh, again by a piece by a Methodist minister in the USA. His name is Stephen Bowman. And here is some of what he says. A few extracts, don't worry. An opening sentence is quite blatant and bold. The church, as we currently know it, is going away. Quite straightforward. Then he says, when I state the church is going away, I don't mean that the Jesus tradition will depart from our land. I mean that the familiar structures fashioned from the threads of that tradition will no longer exist in their current form over the next several decades, and he was writing this 10 years ago. Surely those in the trenches of local church experience, I love that phrase, the trenches of local church experience, can sense the tectonic shifts under their feet. The timing of the approaching shock waves will vary according to the region and geography in the world, but the resulting cultural tsunami will destabilise 
every variety of formal Christianity. We can see that's true. He goes on, human behaviours are shifting in subtle but profound ways in the rush of technology to redefine how we organise time, how we work, how we date, how we construct friendships, how we execute communal commitments, how we parent, how we learn, how we teach, not to mention how we shop. Social arrangements and technological habits are now evolving at faster rates in shorter time cycles. Routinely, people say, well, five years ago we did it this way, but now... He goes on to say this, which is quite interesting. The change looks primarily structural, tactical and material. The foundations of our humanity, on the other hand, remain intact. Each individual, in the future as well as the past, must contend with what it means to be born, to live and to die. All of us attempt to make sense of the days of our lives confronting questions of purpose and of identity. And those questions will not be swept away in the tsunami. He goes on to say, for this reason, I'm bullish about Christianity in the long haul. I'm less bullish in the shorter run. The organized church is in for a wild ride because much of its business falls within the realms of the structural, the tactical, and the material precisely the arenas experiencing the greatest changes. In this sense, what is at risk is not faith, but the institutional, institutional structures that arose over centuries for the purposes of teaching and advancing the faith. Jesus' enduring power and presence, he says, will not end if a denomination or two or three or all of them were to go under. He says, let's be clear, there's no roadmap. There's no clear set of prescriptions for all serious Christians in every scenario. But this will have a purifying effect. Less important matters fall away and more essential matters rise to the surface. In the meantime, he says, our values remain. Worship is at the core of our life. We practice dynamic hospitality. We welcome and affirm diversity. We strive for excellence in all we do. How these intersect with the culture's emergent energies, he says, remains uncertain. Perhaps our practices will need modification. Then again, constant modification, personal and corporate, seems the one necessity for walking in solidarity with Jesus and living an authentic Christian life. I, I really find a lot of these things both prophetic and immediate in the way that we uh, are thinking through things at Hillhead just now. Which brings me back to the readings that we heard earlier from Emma and Graham and Anto. These readings all related to situations of unknowing in which assurance was sought. The key messages from Exodus, the ever-present guide of what is referred to as the cloud or the pillar of fire. From Matthew 6, the injunction, don't worry. And from Matthew 28, 
Jesus assures us, I will be with you day after day after day. Or as Stephen Bauman has phrased it, walking in solidarity with Jesus. In preparing my reflections this morning, another story also came to mind. Actually, it, it, was, it was to do with something else that happened during the week um, when I was chatting with someone um, about uh, at the, the, the new campus at the Western Infirmary, Western, Uni Western campus at the university. And it was about the story of the Emmaus Road. The Gospel as narrated by Luke tells us the story of two persons who were travelling along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. As they walked, they discussed the crucifixion of Jesus, which had uh, happened a few days earlier, and the subsequent disappearance of his body. Translations usually have Jesus show up, join them, and walk alongside them. Others suggest that a more accurate translation would be, and I quote, in their talking, Jesus appeared and travelled with them. Initially, that sounds like the same thing, but it's not. In their talking. Whether Jesus was physically with them or not is not the point. In their talking, the presence, mystery and reality of Jesus was revealed to them. The centenary book of our church shows how time and time again, in ways relevant to the time and place, the presence, mystery and reality of Jesus has been revealed in our talking as a congregation, our conversation as a congregation, our praying as a congregation. And our current process of discernment is providing the latest opportunity for that, for the present moment. And as Holly has already mentioned again today, we now have the summary document from Francis, which I hope we'll all read very carefully and reflect on. And so my question to conclude is this. What's the most creative way for us in this community to support each other as together we discern our future path for walking in solidarity with Jesus. Because living between unknowing and assurance can actually be quite an exciting place to be. I think Hillhead's founding members might have agreed. And so, what will I do? What will you do? What will we do together?
in a God who is present in the darkness before the dawn, in the waiting and uncertainty where uncertainty and courage join hands, conflict and caring link, and the sun rises over barbed wire. We believe in a with us God who sits down in our midst to share our humanity. We affirm this with a faith that takes us beyond the safe place, into action, into vulnerability, and into the streets. And so let us pray. Let us listen for God. And we pray for the constant coming of the light of God's kingdom into our world today. God who is with us, where nations budget for war, while Jesus says, put away your sword. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where countries waste food and covet fashion, while Jesus says, I was hungry, I was thirsty. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where Christians seek the kingdom in the shape of their own church as if Jesus had come to build and not to break barriers. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where women who speak up for their dignity are treated with scorn and contempt your kingdom come, your will be done. Where men try hard to be tough because they're afraid to be tender, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where we are obsessed with being adult and forget to become like little children, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where our prayers falter, our faith weakens, our light grows dim. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And today, we're reminded by BMS World Mission of prayer topics for this coming week in Cambodia in the outreach team led by Pastor Jay in Bangladesh 
the community team led by the Reverend Barnabas. In Thailand, for Sarah and Paul Brown in their work with the local Baptist convention to train women evangelists. And in Spain, where a BMS partner broadcasts to North Africa. And for the fellowship of our own Baptist Union of Scotland, we are invited this week to pray for Katie Swan, who's the personal assistant to the general director, for the congregation in Kelso, for the congregation in Kilmarnock, and for the congregation at Kings Park, where we held our baptismal service last year. And for our own community here at Hillhead, we pray this week for those who arrange the music for our worship, for Joyce and Morag, for Jen, Andrew, Carl and Aidan, Elaine and Graham and John E, Freya and Sarah, Jeff and Carol, Karis, Fiona and Donnie, Betty, Graham, Ali and family, and Barbara. Often when we used to gather together before the pandemic, the offering of our financial gifts would be part of our response in the service. And we haven't been able to do that for some years now, and other ways of giving are now the norm. But I often used to end my prayers of intercession when I was doing them with the words, we now continue in our worship with the, in the giving of an offering. And let's just reflect on that just now as well, because whether it's by the anonymous means of direct debit or other means, whatever. When we give, we pray and we worship. It is an act of prayer. It is an act of worship. And so may God, who walks with us each step of the way, be a lamp to our path and a light to our feet. Amen.
Can I just ask you to keep your orders of service to hand so that we may join in, if we wish, in the words together at the very end after a brief prayer. And so as we continue to travel into the next stages of the journey of our life, both personal and in community, we have reflected on what excites us and what can make us apprehensive. We place these, our individual and common lives, into the hands of God. We bring our gifts and our talents, our longings and our faith. The God who created us from nothing goes on bringing to birth new things beyond our imagining. And so, as we are able, let us make our commitment as we walk into the future as the body of Christ in this world. We will walk this way together, with Jesus Christ in our midst. Our hands are open to receive, our hearts are open to give, our minds longing to learn, and our souls to reach out to each other. Amen. <laughs>